We pray. O God, by the leading of a star, you made known your only begotten Son to the Gentiles. Lead us, who know you by faith, to enjoy in heaven the fullness of your divine presence through the same Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I'm wondering for the benefit of the people at home if Paul Gregan is getting the light right now. Thank you very much. All right. Now we can start the sermon. In the beginning. Yep, we're going to the beginning. Back in the beginning, darkness was over the face of the deep. But no, I am not talking about the nothingness that was there one moment and the pierce of light, of divinely created light, the next moment. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the darkness that the Apostle John wrote about when he said, men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. What did God do with that? Pack up and go home? Shut it all down? No. No, he sent another light. And another. And another. And another and another, 28 times to be exact. The Bible calls this light, this special light, the glory of the Lord. It's a special manifestation of God where he sets aside the laws of nature and he intervenes into the affairs of his people on the behalf of those people. You know these kavod Adonais, you know these glories of the Lord, right? The burning bush. When Moses is investigating this burning bush or this fire that he sees, and all of a sudden this voice comes from this bush that's not being burned up, but has flames coming out of it. Moses, take off your sandals. For the ground upon which you are walking is holy ground. If you were Moses, who would you think was probably there? Yeah, that's right. What other glories of the Lord do you know? So we got the burning bush. How about the, Moses has taken the people out, the pillar of fire by night and smoke by day. That's another glory of the Lord. What about the parting of the Red Sea? That's considered by us to be a glory of the Lord. What about, oh, how about when Solomon's temple is finally completed and it's the big dedication day. It's the big party. And what happens? Smoke fills the entire temple at the dedication of Solomon's temple. That's the glory of the Lord. Those four and 24 others. And God's people saw that light. Those special manifestations of God's intervening into their lives on their behalf because he loved them so much. And men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. What did God do then? Pack it in, shut it down, go home, I'm done with these folks? No. No, he sent another light. And this light was pointed to by a star hanging over Jerusalem. It was bright, and it was grand, and it was beautiful as it heralded the message that had long been told by God's ancient prophets from of old. And what was the reaction to this star? Well, King Herod, he felt threatened. And when King Herod felt threatened, that was not a good situation. 
He got mean, and he turned into Mr. Cranky Pants. And what does he do when he finds out from the Magi that the king of the Jews is somewhere in his ter territory? He calls the chief priests and the scribes. And he asks them, where is this child who is born of the Jews supposed to be born? And you'll notice that the chief priests and the scribes, they know their Bible inside and out, and yet they still had a two-dimensional religion. How so, Pastor? They told him. King Herod, that the child was to be born in Bethlehem. It's less than 10 kilometers south of us. But do you notice not one of them said, how do you know about this? Where, where did you get this news? From the Magi? Where are the Magi? We want to go with them and go see this wonderful thing that has happened. No. No, you don't hear a reaction like that. They, they are really rather blasé about all of this news. They could almost get the impression that they could care less. Hmm. And the people of Jerusalem? Well, not only were they oblivious to everything that was going on on the one hand, and I guess you can't blame them for that, but they were also disturbed because they knew that when King Herod felt threatened, bad things happened. The life that was the light of mankind had come into the world as promised. And men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Today we begin a new church season. It's called Epiphany. Epiphany is just from a Greek word that means to shine forth or reveal or manifest itself. This is the season of the church here where God wants to make sure that you understand that he was, his work was not over when he fulfilled his promise to send a Savior into the world. This is the season where God wants you to know that his work was not over when the angels announced over the fields of Bethlehem, when the shepherds did all that they could and took all of this in and then went back to their flocks in the fields. They, he wants you to know during this season of Epiphany that his work is not over when Simeon got to finally hold the Christ child that he had been longing for. And he got to see with his own eyes. And his work was not over when just a few steps further had Jesus' circumcision. Anna, who had been living in the temple, announced, this is the one. This is the one who will cause the rising and the falling of many in Israel. And he wants you to know that his work was not over when these magi left their presence with Mary and Joseph and the Christ child, and they returned home. This is the season where he wants you to know that now the work of Christmas begins. That's why he led, why God led the magi to Jerusalem, at least one of the reasons, so that we would understand that his promotional strategy of his son was not low-key, it was not intended to be local, and it was not intended to be limited. And he wants us to get the message during this epiphany season that he wants us to have this same plan for his message and for his son. All right, so I'm going to uh, spare you my annual Epiphany Magi Fix Your Perception Lecture. 
but I am going to give you the Coles Notes version. Matthew chapter 2, first 12 verses that the sermon is based upon, is not at Christmas. <gasps> oh, pastor, I've been putting my men right at the nativity, fondly gazing down at the baby Christ child all these years, and you're telling me I'm wrong? I learned it from my grandmother, so you better check again, because I don't think you've got your theology right. No, I do. Lovingly correct grandma when you get home this afternoon. Because Jesus was born in a stable, either one made of wood or a cave. The Magi are visiting the baby Jesus in a house. It's verse 10, I believe. You can check it out for yourself. And they are probably visiting him at the earliest when he's a couple of months old but more likely when he's a couple of years old. And I hope this one's fixed in your head by now. There were not necessarily three magi. There were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and I think that's why Christendom has kind of latched on to the idea that there are three magi, but we don't know. There could have been a whole traveling troop of magi because magioi is a plural noun. So we know there's more than one. There might have only been two. So who were these magi? Oh, they're kind of they're semi-mystery men. I mean, we know that they would be like today's university professors, right? They were really smart guys, but they had a specialty in astrology. But if they had a specialty in astrology, that also means that they knew astronomy. Now, how in all the world, this is the big mystery, how in all the world do these magi from the east know about the king of the Jews? Well, the most popular theory to explain this, and I think it holds a lot of weight, is that during the Babylonian exile, you remember a guy by the name of the prophet Daniel. Daniel was pretty much a, a, a wizard. And I don't mean a supernatural wizard. He was just really blessed by the Lord to be able to help and direct the leaders of Babylon. And he did a big favor for Nebuchadnezzar once, and Nebuchadnezzar made him the head of all the magi. Okay? Now, if this is how the story goes, if you're Daniel, who is an extremely devout guy, and who always prayed to the Lord and loved his God dearly. Do you not think that he's going to let his light shine and he's going to share with these magi the story of a king of the Jews that is going to be coming to rescue the people? Of course he's going to let his light shine. He was given that precious light by God himself. He can't do anything but let it shine because who else is going to shine it? except those people who the light has been given to. So, as the story goes, and the explanation is that Daniel would have shared this message of this coming king with the Magi. And not all of them would have believed it. But here's the amazing thing, if this theory is absolutely true. This story somehow lasted down to these very Magi for more than 500 years. The word of God cannot be stopped. As you also saw in the first lesson from the Queen of Sheba, she had heard about the great and wondrous things that God had done. And she, a Gentile, came all the way over to Solomon to see it for herself. 
That's why that lesson is in there for today. Anyway, back to the Magi. So, if this story is true, this special star shows up, and they marry that with Balaam's prophecy, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel, man, boom, they were on the move. They're going to go check this out. You and I know a whole lot more about Jesus than the Magi did. They weren't there for very long. In fact, you could probably tell me his entire life story from his conception all the way to his ascension back to heaven, couldn't you? You know why he came. You're the reason. And long before you were born, he knew what you were going to be born into. The doom. The doom of having original sin. He also knew the signs of sin. He knew that we would have Herod-like greediness and Herod-like lovelessness and Herod-like hunger for power and Herod-like murderous thoughts, whether in deed or in mind. He knew that we would have Herod-like adulterous thoughts or real-life physical adultery. He knew that we would have Herod-like greediness and ungodliness and godlessness. And he knew that all of this Herod-like sin would cause us to think small and be very possessive about the material things that he had given to us. And we would be two-dimensional Christians rather than three-dimensional active living and breathing Christians and sharing the word and being the light that he has intended for us to be. And that we would also, so we would have this two-dimensional church membership and we would be content to just have Jesus for ourselves. Because you know, people are messy. And I've got enough problems in my own life, let alone having to try to communicate a savior to someone else. Anyway, my neighbors are cranky pants to begin with. I don't want to bother. And Jesus knew what all of this Herod-like sin would end up causing. Sadness and death in this life and judgment and eternal death in the life to come. But we know even more. We know that this God who took on flesh came into this world to call us to repentance and to give us the gift of the light of life in our hearts so that we would trust in him as the only way out of this self-made death sentence that we had made for ourselves. We know that this light of the world allowed his light to be temporarily extinguished so that yours and mine could blaze eternally forever. We know that about the cradle and the cross, and we know about death and resurrection, and we know about life and death. We know about law and gospel. We know about sin and grace. And we know about the forgiveness of sins. And when you put this all together, you know what this says about you, don't you? It means that you have the light of Christ living inside of you. And if this precious gift has been given to you, you need to let it shine. Because others who are living in darkness don't have this light to let shine. 
This is where the epiphany theme, Jesus' divinity, shines forth, where it all comes into play. The Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. You know why he came. You were the reason. And he's given you all of this truth and hope and life and grace and mercy and packaging it all up. And the Bible uses the shorthand word light, the light of Christ. He led you like a star to know and understand and to believe that this light of the world has not written you off in spite of your Herod-like sin. But he's paid for it. And he's washed it away. And he's taken away the darkness. And he's filled the void with his light. And he's now called you a child of light. For you were once darkness, but now, now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And this is why now the work of Christmas begins. Because the whole emphasis of Epiphany is to shine forth. It's to reveal. It's to make manifest. Not just the celebration of Christmas, but the reason behind Christmas, the real star of Epiphany. His earthly name is Jesus. His eternal divine name is Christ. And he is the savior of the world, your savior. You know, you and I do not bow down to worship Jesus the way the Magi bowed down to worship Jesus, get down on all four, on all two knees and both hands and touch our noses to the ground and it's really interesting here's one of those little sidebars that was not written into the sermon but i just can't help myself the greek word for worship here is proskineo it's not just latria it's proskineo and proskineo is always used in the bible when the divine is being worshiped what does that tell you about what the Holy Spirit is giving us little insights through this language about what was in the hearts and the minds of those magi. They knew that this was God. They knew that this was not just the king of the Jews. They knew that this was the king of all creation. But I digress. But you need to know that about Put that in your battery of information about the magi. But maybe we should bow down that way to Jesus. The closest we get is when we have communion and we pull the noisy kneelers out and we sit there on our knees, our hard bony knees, for 37 seconds going, oh, please speak faster and tell me I can stand now. We should get the padded one of these days. But, but, see, the trouble is, is that if we would bow down like that to Jesus, that would really establish the relationship of who this is and who am I. What he has the power to do and how he exercised that power to rescue me. Right? But and I think we just start thinking of him as that old, great, cozy, warm afghan that grandma made for us. 
right? He becomes, Jesus becomes for us like that, that Afghan that he's, he keeps us cozy and warm and comfy and secure in our spiritual security. And that's a great thing, but we can get so comfy and cozy that we start dozing off to the fact that he wants us to also be concerned that he wants others to know, be comfy and cozy and secure in his peace and in his forgiveness. I'm going to do a little reality check with you here for just a little bit. The wonder and the awe, the amazement that the Magi looked upon the Christ child himself with their own eyes. Does that wonder and awe still take your breath away? That beaming demeanor that you had at one time when you knew about what Jesus had done for you and the salvation and grace that he had shown to you. Is that beaming demeanor, is it shining as radiantly these days? I'm, I'm just wondering. Do you remember when you were a young Christian? Can you back, remember back that far? And you had this burning desire that I have this greatest news in the world, and I have to share it. And I have to tell all my friends and relatives, I'm going to go knocking on doors and come up with a way to talk to total strangers. i got to ask you, from that till now, do you have any even glowing embers left inside of you? Are they there? Is there something to spark back to life? You and I have been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have been given the great privilege of having a personal relationship with the author of life, with the director of stars, with the one who makes this entire world continue day in and day out, with the one who spoke light out of nothingness. So what now? What now? Well, you and I know that the world is streaming from afar into Canada. And one of the hot places that they're settling is in Ottawa. So the world is coming to Ottawa. You and I have the means. We have the powerful two-edged sword of God's word. And we have the sacrament of baptism. And we have the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. So we have the means. We also have the method. Because you are confessional Lutherans. And you are the highest trained, best educated laity within Christendom in order to be able to be a light bearer of the gospel, a light shiner, a gospel spreader. And if you're thinking to yourself, yeah, you know, you might be right there, but I'm feeling a little rusty. Well, then knock the rust off. Get the old WD-40 out. 
Polish yourself back up by getting yourself back into Bible class and getting that level of great Christian confessional Lutheran education back to where it once had been so that you can be an epiphany messenger, so you can be a confident epiphany messenger. So we have the means, we have the method. The only thing left for you to assess for yourself is do you have the will to want to be an epiphany messenger? You have been gifted with a light, with a life, with a legacy, and a future. And if you don't let it shine, no one else can because they are in darkness. Look, if God can make Balaam's donkey have speech, he could certainly give you the words to say about who Jesus is, about sin and grace, law and gospel. Look, if God can cause a star supernaturally made or naturally made is not the point. If he can have a star lead Magi over 1,200 kilometers to the very spot where he wants them, is he not able to use you and this church to be a shining beacon of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this city? Absolutely. In conclusion, When you return home this morning, like the Magi, I'm going to ask you to return home by a different route. If you came here this morning with anger and frustration in your heart toward a fellow Christian, toward a spouse or a sibling, go home this morning with forgiveness in your heart and speak those words to that person that you are angry or frustrated with. That's where this needs to begin, in your own heart. If you came here this morning, <clears throat> like the chief priests and the scribes, kind of blasé about this forgiveness of sin stuff, that Jesus' salvation has been poured out on you, go home with your breath taken away once again by the sheer enormity of the grace of God showered upon you. If you came here this morning burned out on evangelism because, you know, I don't really like people. Well, God doesn't really like sin either, but he did something about it. And by the way, this isn't about you. This is about your Savior. So if you came here this morning burned out on personal outreach or personal evangelism. Go home with a renewed, burning desire to seek and to save the lost. And some of you are already making excuses. I can see your cartoon balloons popping up over your head. It's COVID, Pastor. How in the world are they supposed to do that? Do you not have people in your own family that should be here worshiping their creator this morning? Yes. That's your evangelism field right there. But the numbers are rising. You're vaccinated. You've got a mask. We're six feet apart. 
and there's pure alcohol wipe no more than 12 feet apart dotted throughout this entire building. If you came here this morning content to just sit and be a two-dimensional Christian, I want you to go home this morning. Arise and shine and see the plan that your Savior has for you in your personal ministry as one of the best educated confessional Lutheran laity that this world has ever seen. Let it, let it out. Let it shine. Now is the time of the church year. Now is the time in the history of your life. Now is the time in the history of this church for us to get our priorities straight once and for all. We are not here for ourselves anymore. We are here to serve our Savior. And we do that by serving the world. Now is the time for us to get our eyes and our motivations off of ourselves and outside of these four walls and look out to the world streaming from afar and to let our light shine and tell the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dark and dying world. Why would I want to do that, Pastor? That sounds like a lot of work. Yep, it is. Why would I want to do that? Because Jesus did it. For you. And now, he wants you to do the same. Because now, the work of Christmas begins. May God bless you. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, it will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.